Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Would you stand with us as we worship today?
Amen. Gracious and astounding God's love so confounding appears to us in a cleansing flow of blood the sun left throne in glory the Father's wrath and fury in our stead. For the sins of all he bled. Standing all in worship Won't you raise a voice and worship Come on the King of kings and Lord of lords. Behold the Lamb in heaven. He was dead, but God raised him from the grave. His arm is mighty. Now glorified and reigning The keys to death and Hades in his hand And all hail the Lord of every man Standing all in worship Won't you raise a voice and worship Come adore The King of kings and Lord of lords Standing all in worship To raise a voice and worship, come adore the King of kings and Lord of lords. Standing all in worship, raise a voice and worship, come adore. King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we are so in awe of you this morning, God. And as we continue in worship, I pray that we would 
just reflect on your faithfulness to us, God, your kindness to us, your goodness, even when we can't see it or even when it seems confusing and hard, Lord, may you remind us that you're with us, that you care for us, and that your goodness is never failing.
I want you to close your eyes, and I want to ask you this. Do you believe the goodness of God is pursuing you? This is a very important question that about a month ago or more, I can't remember when it was, but I, I preached a sermon and I asked you, do you believe God is for you? And today, this song is perfect for where we're going to the book of Romans. The goodness of God is running after us. So let's thank him for that right now. Father, we thank you for that amazing truth. No matter what's going on in our world today, what's going on in our individual lives, whether things are great today or there's great pain, help us to remember that you are for us, that your loving kindness pursue us, pursues us, and that your goodness is with us all day, every day. Thank you for that amazing, amazing truth, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just a couple of quick announcements. The good morning. And I, I, um, I repent for saying stupid bowl last week. I hope you have a great day today watching the Super Bowl, if that's what you're doing. Um, and I said it again. See, I wasn't going to say it, but I said it again. So, no, it's, it's a, a beautiful day in Lake Tahoe. So whatever your plans are, I hope that um, in all your behavior today, you honor God, even if your team loses. But a couple quick announcements. One is next Sunday, after the second service, so about 1230, we're going to have our all-church meeting. It's kind of an annual thing we do where we talk about where the church is going, we talk about the budget, all that fun stuff that I know you're going to be here for. So come on back. If you're going to 9.30, come back at 12.30 for that meeting. It'll be one hour long, no more. The second thing is the week after that, the 21st, we're going to have a ministry fair. We're in the back of the, of the sanctuary here. There'll be tables for all the different ministries that you can come check out information about of how, one, they can minister to you, and two, how you can help them minister to the rest of the body. Opportunities for you. So keep those in mind for um, the upcoming. So let's open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. And let me just ask God to guide us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity now to look into your word. Teach us, Lord. Remind us who you are. Remind us who we are and what you've called us to do and be every day. So we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So Romans 8.1. You guys know this passage. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today, the fact that, that you, if you've come to Christ, you're not condemned, and you never will be. I, it's, a, it's an amazing truth that I wonder if we take for granted sometimes. If we've heard it so many times, we forget, we forget Romans chapter 1 through 7 that set up Paul to say this phenomenal truth. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So before we can jump into this, as you know, we, we started Romans last summer in July. We took a break mid-November to deal with Thanksgiving, then Christmas, and then we did the, 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 um, the sermon series the last month about uh, the restart, how we need to have a course correction for 2021, since 2020 was such a joy. And now, how do we, what lies were we believing? We dealt with that all month. Now back to Romans. 
in this incredible truth. So what I want to do in order to, to explain to you what it means that there's no condemnation if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, we have to go back and survey the book of Romans. So we're going to do that. This is a whirlwind survey. Stay with me. There'll be verses on the screen. Some will be up there. Some will not be up there. But if you remember, Paul started off the gospel. He said he defined the gospel for us, the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. And here's how he defined it in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul is going to present to us now this gospel where the righteousness of God is now given to you through faith in Jesus. And, and this is the good news. But that, that statement there, if you don't know much about the book of Romans, you, you have a lot of questions or a lot of ambiguities. What does that mean, the righteousness of God is given to us? It's revealed to us. Well, to understand it, Paul has to step back from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, about verse 22, 23, he has to, to remind us of who we are outside of Christ. And that is, we are dead in our sins. We're sinners before him. And so he goes from this stark statement that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is about the righteousness of God being revealed to you and how faith in Jesus brings that righteousness to you. But he steps back and he kind of hammers us for two and a half chapters on sin. He says there, it talks about there, he says that the wrath of God, after he says the righteousness of God is revealed, it says the wrath of God is revealed against all the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And for the next two and a half chapters, he establishes how every person, whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile, has turned our backs on God, and we now are established in our sin. To where he brings this to a capstone in chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and you must... And we spent like three or four weeks in this section, and it got kind of, got kind of um, like a weight on us. You know, I had people say, why are we talking about sin so much? Well, I tell you why we have to talk about the sin during those sections, because you can't understand the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't understand the gospel until you understand your current condition. You can't come to understanding of faith in Jesus and why that's important unless you grasp the position you have before God. And outside of Jesus Christ, the position you and I had was condemnation. Our sin condemned us. But after that, Paul, after he establishes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he now gives greater details of this gospel, this righteousness that is revealed to us. He says in chapter 3, verse 24, we are justified, excuse me, we are justified. That is the idea of declared righteous. You are justified by his grace as a gift through faith. Right? So the idea of you gaining the righteousness of God where he says, he says Steve, you are righteous. He says that we are all righteous not because we earned it, not we deserve it, because I've declared you righteous because you've trusted in my son. through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
What's this redemption? He explains it in the next verse. This won't be on the slide, but he explains that redemption, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, propitiation is the idea of satisfaction. It's an Old Testament sacrifice term where where the, the, the priests would bring in their sacrifices in the blood, and that would bring a satisfaction to God. See, God, God, because of our sin, our sin caused God to stand against us, but he loves us, and he wants us to be with him. But the, the animal sacrifices put him against, put us against God, so the blood then satisfied that demand of God. Well, we learn from the book of Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Cannot. It took the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation. Christ Jesus was, and we receive it by faith. He illustrates this in chapter 4 of Romans with Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. Because remember, he's writing here to people who are Jewish and Gentile in Rome. And, and, and the Jewish people have been under the law of Moses for generations, for thousands of years. And so their mindset is this, I have to keep the law to gain righteousness. And what Paul is saying is that's not the plan of God. The law was brought in to show you your sin. But the plan of God really starts with Abraham 500 years before Moses gave the law. And God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham, Abraham, though you have no children and though you own no property, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have more children than the stars of the heaven. You're going to have more children than the sand of the sea. And I'm going to give you this land that you're journeying, you're sojourning in today. It's going to be yours and your children forever. And what does it say when God makes this ridiculous promise to Abraham? A guy who's too old to have children, whose wife is too old to have children, and who has no property. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. See, Abraham was our pattern. From the beginning, God was declaring people justified, righteous, because they trusted in him. The law came in to show us our sin. So in light of this justification by faith, we now have peace with God, Romans chapter 5. And this is amazing. See, Romans chapter 5 presents us as <clears throat> enemies of God. He says in there in Romans chapter 5, 6, it says you were godless. Romans 5, 8 says you were a sinner. And Romans 5, 10 says you were his enemy. But three times in those four verses, it says that Christ died for you. Why? Because God loves you. And that statement in Romans 5, 8 sets us up as we move through the rest of the book, and we'll talk more about the love of God in just a moment. But understand this. Outside of Christ, we're condemned by the law. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Chapter 6 gives us a, a glimpse into why that happened. You see, once we were condemned in Adam, because Adam sinned, we sinned. When Christ came, his righteousness. I don't want to go chapter 6 yet. I've got to step back to chapter 5. I want to read to you 5, 18 through 19. This is the concept of, of, of imputation. We talked about this, how I said here that, that when Adam sinned, it was given to me. Then my sin was transferred to Jesus on the cross. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So Adam's sin was given to me, my sin is given to Christ, and Christ's righteousness is given to me. This is called imputation. This is, this is the, the flow of how God is bringing righteousness to us. 
don't know if you remember that sermon. Um, all these sermons are online. You go back and listen to them. <clears throat> so Paul asked the question, if I'm now righteous, if I have the righteousness of Christ, and grace, where sin abounds, what happens to grace? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, then let's continue sinning. Let's go head deep in it so we can get more grace. And what does Paul say? Are you dumber than a, a nail? Or what's the expression? It's such a dumb expression, I can't even remember it. A doornail? What is a doornail after all? So anyways, Paul says, how can you, who died to sin, still live in it? And that's Romans chapter 6. You see, we've been united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that he brings us a new identity and a new life. And we can live a life now that honors God. Before that, we couldn't. But now, we have this new life where Paul says in Romans 6, 6, we know that the old self was crucified. Are, are, are these verses, do we not have them? There it is. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done, brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, when Christ died on the cross, guess what? You died on the cross. When Christ was buried in the ground, you were buried in the ground. When Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead so that we would walk a new life. We were in Christ when all that happened. And now what Romans 6 tells us, seven times in the sixth chapter of Romans, we learned, it says something along these lines. Sin is not your master. You no longer have to obey it. It doesn't own you anymore. And it tells you in light of that, since it's not your master, you don't have to obey. Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. And present the members of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You see, salvation isn't simply doing nothing and basking in our forgiveness. Salvation is an active life of presenting ourselves to God and say, God, I'm yours. I'm an instrument of yours now for good, for doing right. That's Romans 6. But Romans 7 comes along and talks about what life was like under the law and, and the failure everybody had. And that's what that famous saying is, that why do I do what I don't want to do? How many can say they, they've experienced that in their life? I want to do what's right, I want to do what's right, and I pursue that, but then all of a sudden I find myself having failed and done wrong, and oh, I hate myself for this. Everybody. And, and what I suggested to you in that Romans 7, Romans 7 is not the, should not be the normal pattern of the Christian life. Failure is not the normal pattern. That was the normal pattern under the law before Christ. The normal pattern was Romans chapter 6, that sin is not your master. So chapter 7 ends, though, with that, with that, um, that depressing statement where Paul goes, under the law, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That then sets us up for this crescendo in Paul's argument of this glorious truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read it to you again. In light of that, in light of what God has done for you, 
in light of your failure under the law, but what the gospel brings to you, the righteousness of God put upon you because you believe in Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All that was introduction. Now we're going to talk about this beautiful truth. When I came up here a minute ago, I said, do you believe God's for you? Do you believe the goodness of God is pursuing you? Or do you believe fundamentally God is against you? And, 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 and he'll tolerate you. Or do you believe there's this, this, the most powerful being in the universe is on your side? And that coming to Christ, he'll never, ever condemn you, no matter what you've done. Do you believe this? Do you believe that your greatest sins, your littlest ones and your greatest ones, and I know your mind now can catalog them, that Christ became that sin and paid for it on the cross. The second song we sang was glorious truth about this very thing, that Jesus died, paid the penalty for that, and God raised him from the dead to never die again and for that sin to be taken away from you and me and for forgiveness to come overwhelm us and will never be condemned if you trusted in Christ. Do you believe this? See, to move forward in Romans, you have to grasp this now and stand upon it. In fact, Romans chapter 8, we're going to spend five weeks in Romans chapter 8 because there's so much here, I, I, I'd, I'd spend more, but I'm not going to. But I want to take you to the end of Romans 8 right now to show you the bookends, how Paul has bookended, if I can turn it into a verb, starting with no condemnation, and ending with four questions he's going to ask the reader. Four questions about the love of God. So if he starts it with there's no condemnation, let me look at, show you the end. If you went to 831, it says this. If God is for us, four questions. If God is for us, here's the first question. Who can be against us? Hello? See, do, this is the question. Do you believe God is for you? If you believe God is for you, then the, the, the conclusion is that no one can come against me. No one can ever take my salvation away from me. Second question, Romans 8.33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Just this week alone, have you, have you lived your life in a manner where someone could come along and say, God, have you seen your child here? Did you see what he did? Did you see what she did? How many of you this week would say, oh, I have a few failures? Oh, not as many hands this time. My hand goes up with that one, let me tell you. But no one can bring a charge against us before God because of what he's done. That's the second question. The third question, who is to condemn? Who will condemn us? You see, if there's no condemnation, who, who can condemn us? The very next phrase of that verse is interesting. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The truth here, if you grasp it, will change your life. You see, Jesus says that all judgment is given to the Son. In the Gospels, he says, you know, the, God, the Father has given him all judgment. He is the one whom every human being will stand before someday and give an account for their life. And Jesus will bring the judgment. So when it asks the question, who can condemn you? 
Do you know the only person that can condemn you? Is Jesus Christ. But you know what it says right here? He's actually interceding for you. He's not going to condemn you. He's interceding for you. He's the one keeping you saved. That's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he's the Savior who removes condemnation and intercedes for you. Every day when you fail before God and you forget who you are and you give in to that temptation, he intercedes for you and takes that sin away from you. You'll never be condemned. The last question he asks in 835, in light of all this, in light of that, no one can be against us. No one can bring a charge against us before God. No one can condemn us because Christ is interceding. Then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, if Jesus is motivated by his love for you, who can separate you from that? And the answer is, nobody. This is beautiful, you guys. I, I wish you'd just take those masks off and tell me you're paying attention right now. Masks are so disruptive to my sermon preaching. Don't take them off. We're not supposed to do that. So if you have come to Jesus Christ, if you've come to him and said, Jesus, I got nothing to offer you, that I know my sin, the weight of it is overwhelming, but God, will you save me? Jesus, I know you died for my sins. I know you became my sin for me. Will you forgive me and save me, Lord Jesus? As we get to Romans chapter 10, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that's you, you'll never be condemned, ever. It's not an excuse. We're going to learn from the rest of the book of Romans. It's not an excuse to go do what you want. It's actually the opposite. You see, freedom isn't the, the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the idea that I can do right now. I can do what's right. I have the power to do what God has designed me to do. It's not the power to do whatever I want. See, before you couldn't do what you wanted. When you wanted to do right, you didn't. That's the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Now let's get into the sermon. That was funny, come on. <laughs> if I'm not condemned in Christ, how did he accomplish this? I've just given you a big picture, but Romans 8, verses 2 through 4, give us some details that we want to just slow down for a minute and look at them. So let's just walk through them. So remember Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now verse 2, why? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Paul is reducing our walk with God to two categories, the spirit of life and the spirit of death. The spirit of life is the gospel that you trust in Jesus and the spirit of God enters into you. The spirit of death is living under the law, two categories. Prior to Jesus, we lived under the law. Whether you were Jewish or not, it still stood as your master. And nothing wrong with the law. The law is not bad. The law is good. We had a problem. And we were delivered from that. So that now, the law of the spirit of life, the gospel that the spirit brings and applies to your life, the righteousness of Christ, has set you free now from the condemnation that the law brought to us. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See, law is not the problem. We are. We were. Our sinful flesh. 
what it could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Now let's just stop for a moment. Look up there where it says, by sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. If we went back to Romans chapter 7, it's very clear there that this concept called sin dwells in our bodies. And, and there's this thing called the flesh. The flesh is this, this power that sin in our bodies is this idea that, that um, um, it's, it's kind of hard to explain sometimes, but the principle of sin that dwells within my body, Paul calls it. In that sense, it, it, it permeates who we were in, before Christ and controls us. So God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Very important to think about this. That Jesus became like you and me. When Jesus took on a physical body, he never once committed a sin. Do you understand that? And do you agree with that? Okay, if you agree with that, he never once committed a sin. But he lived, his body was fully capable. You see, he came in a body just like yours and mine. And he lived the life we were supposed to live. You see, you and I were supposed to live a life of honoring God. When temptation came our way, we were supposed to, to say, I refuse to do that. I will honor my God with my life and my body and my heart and my mind. But instead, what did we do? What did I do? We jumped, jumped headlong into it. Well, Jesus came in the same kind of body you and I have. And he never once gave into it. You go back to Romans chapter 5 and you go to 1 second, first, second, first Corinthians 15. It talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. The first man, the second man. The first man, our father Adam, gave in. The second man, Jesus Christ, comes along and he never gave in. Both of them, though, were just like us. So Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, fought the good fight. In light of this thought, I want you to go back now, as you're reading through the Gospels with me, we're in, the, we're, we're in Gospel, I, I think, gosh, I, I didn't read my Gospel. I didn't read my Gospel this morning. We're in about Matthew 10, 11, I think. 12, failure up here. As we get to the end of Matthew, I want you to see the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what Jesus is saying? What did Jesus say in the garden to his father? Is there any other way? Oh, God, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be brutally murdered. I don't want to be separated from you because of the sins of mankind. But not my will be done, your will be done. You see, Jesus is being tempted right there. It says drops of blood. He sweat drops of blood. It said that angels came and ministered to him. The only other time we see angels ministering to Jesus is actually back in the temptation in chapter 4, where he's being tempted by the devil, and it says angels ministered to him. You see, Jesus as the man, God becoming human, the temptation of the devil was so intense. It started there in the wilderness in chapter 4 and continues all the way up into chapter 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane as the devil's trying to get Satan to, to move away from going to the cross. And that statement, I don't want to do this, God, but not my will be done, your will be done. That's the epitome of what a human's supposed to be and do. He did it for us. 
but he didn't have he didn't have the supernatural power that you don't have he didn't have he didn't have a body unlike yours that he could withstand it he came in sinful flesh just like ours that's paul's point and he condemned sin in the flesh by dying he condemned sin so verse 4 he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the Spirit, but according to the flesh. Now, this is the crescendo here. How can God accept you? How can God declare you righteous? How can he do that? See, so you, you know, I know, fundamentally, I'm not righteous. That, that my thought life, my actions, my attitudes regularly fall short of the holiness of God. Even as a Christian, I sometimes ignore who I am. I ignore the fact that the Spirit of God lives in me and the power he's given me, and I choose selfishness. So how can he say you're righteous, Tony? Right there. You see, because I'm in Christ, Romans chapter 6 said that, when Jesus died, what'd you do? When he's buried, what happened to you? And when he rose from the dead, what happened to you? So that you'd walk a new life. So we're united with Christ in everything he did. His life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, we're united with him. This is talking about his life. Jesus kept every commandment of God. And because we are in Christ, the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in us. When Jesus kept the law, you kept the law. I want to take a minute here and walk through the Ten Commandments real quick. And I want you to ask yourself, have you kept these? Right? If these are just 10 of the commandments. See, this is called the Decalogue. This is the introduction to the law of Moses. The, the, like the primary, the most important laws. The first two laws are this. You shall have no other gods before me, and you will not make an idol. Make nothing of the, of the creatures of the earth. Anything you see, make nothing and say, oh, there is my God. How are you done with that? Not good. Understatement. And see, today we don't bow before idols. We've talked about this. But what did I suggest to you back in Romans chapter 1 that our idol today is? Do you remember? Me. You see, we, we, we don't bow before stone and wood. We've elevated ourselves to the top of the food chain and say everything else should bow to me. So, so we've made ourselves God. So yes, we've broken those commandments. How about the third one? Never take the name of the Lord Yahweh in vain. Uh-oh. Keep the Sabbath and do not break it. One day a week, no work. Uh-oh. Number five, honor your mother and father. And this is, this is actually one of the longer commandments because the child who honors his mother and father will live a long life in the promises. And if you're... Ask yourself if your own honor of your own parents, how'd you do? Or if you're a parent asking, how do your kids honor you? We all fall short. Mur okay, this one, this one, I doubt anyone in this room committed this. You shall not murder. Any takers on this one? I've never murdered a person. So I get one out of ten right, right? Wrong. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You just read it. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. You see, because murder starts with hate. Then he steps back from hate and says, if you've called your brother a fool, you've broken this commandment. Well, adultery. Never done that. Literally. 
Same sermon on the mount. Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman, or ladies, if you've looked at a man with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. All of us fall short. Stealing, that I've done many, many times. That was um, a natural thing we did as teenagers. Bear false witness against your neighbor. What's about this is, so, you know a perfect example of false witness? This is, really, this is really specifically about a court of law. To go into a court of law and say, my neighbor did X, Y, Z, when in fact he never did it. But there's a larger principle in Scripture, and you know how we all break this all the time? Gossip. When I pass along false information about somebody, I'm bearing false witness against them. The last one, the only one that isn't in action is a thought. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, donkey, house, it lists about five or six things. Co coveting the idea of, I don't like what God's given me, I want what you have. Again, I think everyone has done this. So fundamentally, even if you could say a couple of these you did not do, um, Paul tells us in Galatians that if you fail at one law, you have failed at all of them. If you've broken just one, you've broken them all. Because the requirement is 100% obedience, righteousness. So guess what? In Christ, do you know what you've done? You've kept every one of them. Because you were in Jesus. When he kept every commandment, you kept every commandment. The righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us. You stand before God entirely righteous, entirely justified because of what he did. Let me summarize it. Jesus became like us. The entirety of the law was kept by Jesus. You were in Jesus. You were united with him in his life, death, burial, resurrection. So you have kept the entirety of the law. You have met every and all righteous requirements of the law. You stand before God justified. And, and this is the beautiful good news. This is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, and, and you know what? Today, today the world, and I don't want to overstate it. I think this is obvious personally. The world headed by Satan wants you to be ashamed of your faith. It wants you just to be quiet about it. Because, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to say you follow Jesus. That little voice, the devil, saying, it's really silly, you follow a crucified God. Just keep it to yourself. The world would love for us to keep it to ourselves. The ruler of this world desperately wants that. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When we get to Romans 10, we're going to find out that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ, hearing by the proclamation of Jesus. But he says, if people can't hear unless they're told by somebody. And they can only be told if you and I go tell them. So this responsibility of the gospel going to the world is put squarely upon you and me. That's why we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. 
And the gospel is so much more, it's so much, so much more in-depth than simply Jesus died so you're forgiven if you say a prayer. It's about this radical transfer of all your sin and debt before God to Jesus. And then, then the radical transfer of all his righteousness and his obedience before his Father put upon you. For today, you and I stand righteous before God because of what Jesus has done. So the result, the end of chapter 8, verse 4, where is it? So it says, so who walk, now we who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And this now sets us up for the next paragraph we're going to do next week. See, we're no longer controlled by the flesh. It's not our master. We now control it. I control the flesh of my body because of the spirit of God who lives in me, who empowers me to do it. And, and there's a transition now in the book of Romans that we're going to find glorious. I hope you do. Up to this point, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned four times in the book of Romans. Four times. He, he's pretty much not a major player so far in the book of Romans. Well, well let me say it differently. Paul has not used him as a major player but now in chapter 8, 19 times, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. Now all of a sudden, chapter 8 is life in the Spirit. And next week, we'll look at what it means to have your mind set on the flesh, pursuing selfishness and sin, or the mind set on the Spirit, pursuing righteousness and service and love for one another. So that's next week. So this is the glorious gospel. I titled this whole Roman series called The Glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's taken me eight chapters to give the full definition of it. And, and I hope, I hope to, today, if you learn nothing new, I hope you're reminded of who you are and what God's done for you. But if, if this, you didn't know this, I, I want you to grasp it. Incredible truth. If you've done the simplicity, and I do believe it's a simple, I shouldn't call it, it's simple, it's not easy, but it's not complex. That's what I mean by simple. I come before him, I... I lay my sin down at his feet. And I say, God, I got nothing. I deserve nothing good from you, but your word tells me your grace is abundant if I trust in Jesus. So I ask you today, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you come to him with all your doubts, with all your questions still, all your uncertainties about life, uncertainties even about who God is? But right now, the Spirit of God is saying to you, what that guy up there is saying is true. Come to him and bring your sin and confess it to him, even right now. Confess your sins to Christ right now as we pray. And then I will give you a brand new life where you stand before me clean and righteous and filled with incredible purpose. That's what you can do right now. So let's pray towards that end. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word today, this glorious gospel. We are no longer condemned. We stand righteous before you, not because we did anything, Father, because you did it all. We praise you for that. And now, Father, as we move forward and, and take communion, God, help us to get our minds focused on that, to trust you in all this and to celebrate what Jesus did for us through the taking of the elements. 
We love you. Amen. If the ushers could please hand out the elements. As they're doing that, I want you to think of what we just learned. That your sin caused you to be condemned. The big and the little ones. But your sin was given to Christ and he died on the cross. He became sin so that you could become righteous. And as we partake of the elements today, these two symbols of bread and wine, or the body and blood of Jesus, is the means by which God did that. So why would they pass out? Why don't you just take a few minutes in silent prayer and talk to God about your life, about your week, about your attitudes, about maybe some sin you need to talk to him about today. And, and bring that to him today before you partake. Let's just take a minute and pray. If you haven't been in communion with us, this little, pull the cellophane off the top and you can pull the wafer out. Jesus took bread on the night in which he was betrayed and he said, this is my body given for you. And we just read how Christ took on human flesh, a sinful flesh like ours. He became like us. And then he offered that body for you. Jesus, we thank you for your amazing sacrifice and your deep love for us. And, look, and Jesus, we are overwhelmed. And if we're not overwhelmed yet, Lord, open our eyes to see it, that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you remember me. Or every time you drink it, remember me. Because of life is in the blood, because Christ gave up his life, your sins have been removed. And we can truly rejoice I stand before him clean today because of the blood of Christ. Again, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you for your plan that you have, from eternity past, put in through your Son. We thank you, Spirit, for applying this to our lives and making us new. Let's partake together. We're going to rejoice now singing a couple more songs.
I have to step back, though. There's something I didn't do that I meant to do during the announcements, and I want to do it now. So we've been praying for people for a long time, on and off in services, and in our prayer chain that goes out. If you're part of the prayer chain, if you're not, sign up for it. Just email me. But today, Sandra's in with us. Sandra had cancer. They said, you're probably not going to survive from. And she's sitting here right now. It's wonderful to have you, Sandra. We have Christine, who's probably watching online, who's fighting her battle with cancer. We have Mira, who's hopefully getting out of the hospital soon with her broken knee and getting over her COVID. We have, and I heard from Tim Lampy that, that, that Maddie is going to get out of the hospital where she's in for her, her eating disorder and sent to a recovery center because she's getting better. She's eating. She's gaining weight. All these things God has done because he's good to us. He owed us nothing, but he blessed us with this. So as we sing these next three, couple songs, just remember the goodness of God and it's running after you. So thank you.
So the rest of your day, if worthy is your name and you deserve the praise, the rest of your day, we need to live that out. If you remember last week's message about how God wants you to enjoy your blessings, wants you to share your blessings. So whatever you do this afternoon, enjoy it. But also, look for an opportunity to share the blessing, and the greatest blessing you have is the Son of God in your life. So look for someone to share that today. And if today you have, maybe for the first time, come to realize who Christ is and who you are before him, and you've trusted him as your Savior, talk to me outside. I beg you to do that. One more song that we learned last week about praising God. So thank you.
Have a great rest of your Sunday, you guys. We'll